So this is kind of strange. In 2011, the Ammons family moved into a house in Gary, Indiana. They claimed it was haunted, and while many agree, some people think they made it all up. Listen and decide what you think. A fabrication or a haunted house? Hello, and welcome to Kind of Strange. I'm your host, Grace, and this is a place where you can get cozy, a little creeped out, and talk with me about things that are weird, unusual, spooky, and kind of strange. The Ammons family haunting is so creepy that even people that didn't believe in ghosts before meeting the family and going to the house changed their minds. Welcome back to Kind of Strange. So I love a good haunted house story, whether it's a fictional one that I read about in a book or watch on screen, or if it's about a haunted house that people swear is real. The idea fascinates me. A lot of times, haunted house accounts seem to be older stories taking place hundreds of years ago with lots of history involved, and while I do love that, I was in the mood to learn about a more recent case, and this one that we're going to talk about took place between 2011 and 2013. This account includes more than just a few objects flying off a shelf. The family in this house claims that they were possessed, and there is more than just their word for it. Many visited the house and worked with the family during this time and the opinions of people seem to be split. Some people believe that the family was making it all up, and others truly believe that they were living in a haunted house. Again, I'll let you listen and decide, and I'll share some of my thoughts at the end. The Ammons haunting case is something that I hadn't heard about until recently, and it occurred in Gary, Indiana, beginning in 2011. So let's start at the beginning. It's November 2011, and LaToya Ammons moves into a rental house at 3860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. LaToya has three children that are also moving into the house, ages 7, 9, and 12, and her mother, Rosa Campbell, will be living with them as well. For the first little bit of time, things are going well. But then in December, LaToya starts noticing a lot of black flies swarming her porch area. She thinks this is strange because it's cold outside and there's a large amount of flies hanging around the area. It's not just a couple, it's a big amount. So they try to get rid of the flies, they try to kill them, but they just keep coming back. Rosa, who is again LaToya's mother, is like, you know, this isn't normal, but they continue to try to get rid of them and nothing is working. So they don't think too much of it, but then other strange things start to happen as well. Both LaToya and Rosa notice that after midnight, strange noises can be heard coming from the basement. They both tell each other that they hear what sounds like footsteps steadily climbing the basement stairs. So the basement stairs lead up into the kitchen with a door separating them, and they even hear the sound of the door creaking open. At some time, one or both of them checks the door after they hear this noise, but there's nothing and nobody there. So they make the decision to keep the door locked, but the noise does continue. They're kind of creeped out, but they're not trying to make too much of it, until one night, Rose is sleeping. She's sleeping in the living room, and she suddenly wakes up in the middle of the night and notices a shadowy figure of a man pacing in the room. She jumps up and tries to figure out what's going on, but the shadowy figure is gone. 
She's tired and afraid, and she must wonder, did she imagine this? But then she notices something else. Large, wet boot prints in the area where the figure was pacing. So they have no idea where these boot prints come from, it doesn't match up with the size of anybody's feet in the house, and strange happenings continue. The family's definitely feeling a little bit uneasy, but again, they're trying not to make too much of it until something seriously weird happens in March of 2012. So Latoya's at home, her mother's there too, the kids are all home, and Latoya and her mother have a group of friends over. It's pretty late, around 2am, because somebody they knew had passed away, so Latoya, her mother, and the group of friends are up late mourning the loss of their loved one. At the same time, Latoya's 12-year-old daughter is having a friend sleepover, and the two of them are sleeping in Latoya's mother's bedroom. So at some point it's late, and Latoya just goes in to check on the kids, and then she goes to check on her daughter and her friend. Rosa stays with a group of friends, and they're just continuing to spend time together, when suddenly they start to hear Latoya shouting, telling Rosa to come in immediately. Rosa runs into the room where Latoya is with her daughter, and according to her and the others that were there that night, Latoya's daughter is levitating above her bed, completely unconscious. Everybody's terrified, and they have no idea what to do, so they decide to start praying. Some time goes by, and eventually the girl stops levitating. She must end up back on her bed, and then she wakes up. So she's groggy, she's not really sure what's going on, and they say, hey, do you know what just happened? But she has no memory of it. After this, the friends that were over, who had witnessed what had happened, refused to go back into Latoya's house ever again. So the family decided that they needed to do something. They wanted to find somebody that could help them, somebody that they could talk to. So they were religious, and they started calling churches in the area. They were trying to tell their story, but none of the churches wanted to help. They didn't even want to listen. Eventually, though, officials at one church told them that the house they were in had spirits in it. They actually advised Latoya to clean the home with bleach and ammonia, and then they told her to use oil to draw crosses on the doors and windows. Latoya is desperate at this point. She wants to get the odd things happening in her home to stop, so she decides to follow their advice. She takes the oil and she puts crosses on the doors and windows, and then she also puts it onto her children's feet and draws crosses with it on their foreheads. Around the same time, they're really looking for some insight as to what's going on, so Latoya and Rosa contact two clairvoyants. The clairvoyants look into things, and they tell Latoya that there's 200 demons living in the home, which is quite a lot. They tell Latoya that she needs to move, and that's going to be her best option, and they really aren't sure that there's anything she can do to stay in the house and get rid of the demons. But moving isn't an option for Latoya in this moment. Financially, she's just not able to do it. So instead, she decides to make an altar in her basement, hoping that this is going to help the situation. She puts a statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on it, and she leaves an open Bible there as well. At the recommendation of the clairvoyance, she burns sage and sulfur throughout the house. And she describes doing this, saying that the smoke was so thick that she could hardly breathe, but she was desperate to try to get this negative energy out of her home. While she's doing this, she also is drawing crosses in the air with the smoke, as well as reading from the Bible. And then three days go by, and there's no unusual happenings, so they think, hey, maybe this worked. They're feeling relieved, they feel like the things that they'd done had actually made a difference, but unfortunately, the strange things were coming back, and they were going to get much worse. So it's at this point that Latoya's children start to act strangely. They start smiling in strange ways, and their eyes start to bulge as their voices deepen when they speak, which sounds really creepy and straight out of a horror movie. 
Latoya herself starts to notice at times that she's starting to feel weak and lightheaded, and her body shakes, and it's almost like she feels like she's out of control. So the family starts to believe that they're being possessed, and every member, aside from Rosa, is experiencing this. But Rosa still believes them as well, it's just that she personally isn't experiencing this. Latoya's youngest son, who was seven at the time, would sit in a closet and talk to a boy that nobody else could see. So, you know, children do have imaginary friends, but this felt different. One time, it said that he actually flew out of the bathroom like somebody had thrown him. Latoya's daughter had a headboard smack onto her, and she actually needed to go and get stitches because of this. Later on, when her daughter was recalling what had happened to her, she said that sometimes it felt like she was being choked. She said it felt like she couldn't speak or move, and she would have these terrible thoughts while this was happening. It got to the point that on a few particularly bad nights, the family even ended up going to a hotel and sleeping there to get away from everything that was happening. After about a month of all these occurrences increasing, on April 19, 2012, LaToya reached out to the family's doctor, Dr. Jeffrey Onayekwi. He listened to their story, and he actually found himself feeling scared. He said that in his entire profession, he had never heard anything like it. So he took some notes, and in his notes, he wrote that there were delusions of a ghost in the home. Being asked about this situation afterwards, he said that there was more, but he couldn't actually share the information. He said he would not speak in more detail about any of this until LaToya had psychiatric clearance because she had a waiver of confidentiality that she had signed. So until she had that, he didn't want to give any more details about this case. But during their visits with Dr. Onayekwi, LaToya's youngest son started cursing at him in voices. There were other staff present that said it appeared the boy was lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him. Again, this is her seven-year-old son, and after this, he actually passed out and nobody could wake him up. The police were called, and then multiple police and ambulances showed up. The scene was so chaotic, and LaToya's son was taken to Methodist Hospital. While on the way to the hospital, LaToya said that she was actually trying to put oil on her son's feet and on her son, hoping that it would help him, and the staff of the hospital laughed at her, and they really wouldn't listen to her concerns. So they got to the hospital, and LaToya prayed, and thankfully, soon after, her son woke up. He was screaming, and he actually had to be held down by multiple men, and again, he's only seven. So during this time, with everything going on, a social services agency was asked to investigate LaToya and her family. There was abuse and neglect that were suspected, and whoever had reached out, I believe it might have been anonymously, I'm not exactly sure who reached out, but they were wondering if LaToya might have a mental illness. They said that they thought the children were acting out for LaToya, and they thought that LaToya was encouraging them to do so. So, the children were examined, and there was no evidence of physical abuse, there were no bruises or anything like that. LaToya also was examined at this time by a psychiatrist at the hospital, and the psychiatrist said that she was of sound mind. While the youngest son was being interviewed, he actually growled and bared his teeth, and his eyes rolled back in his head. He even put his hands around his brother's throat and wouldn't let go until adults had to pry his hands off of his brother. So a lot of this was witnessed by multiple people, and LaToya and her mother, they still didn't know what to do, they were really upset by all of this, so they continued to pray, they continued to just hope that things would get better. Then, LaToya's middle child, a nine-year-old boy, started acting strangely as well. He started grinning in a really weird way, and then he walked backwards towards the wall. It's said that he flipped over his grandmother and landed on his feet, and then just stood there, although some other sources say that he climbed up the wall, he 
kind of moved backwards up the wall in a way that seemed humanly impossible. Whatever happened exactly, the family was convinced that there's no way that he should have been able to do that. And all of this was actually witnessed by a social service investigator that was there, and she was asked to later describe what had happened. So this investigator was a Department of Child Services family case manager named Valerie Washington. And she witnessed what happened with Latoya's nine-year-old son, and she was asked, you know, did he run up the wall? Did he do some kind of flip or some kind of trick? And she said no. He had glided backward on the floor, up on the wall, and then to the ceiling. She said that she was so scared that she ran out of the room, and a nurse who was also in the room at the time confirmed this and said that he ran out of the room too. He said that he and Washington didn't know what was going on, it was crazy, so they were afraid, and they left. They ended up going to a doctor to inform him of what had happened, but the doctor didn't see it, and he didn't believe it. This nurse who had been in the room when asked about this later said that he believed that there was some kind of spirit behind what was happening, but he also believed mental illness was involved. And then Valerie Washington stated that it was possible that an evil influence was affecting the family. So after a night spent in the hospital, the next day, LaToya actually had her children taken from her. Of course she didn't want this to happen, they didn't want this to happen, but Department of Child Services wanted to investigate further, and they wanted to be sure that the children were safe with everything going on. So in the meantime, there had been a chaplain at the hospital that the family was at, and he ended up reaching out to Reverend Michael Maginot, and he wanted him to help the family. So Reverend Maginot was a priest for 10 years, and he had actually never received a request like he got from this hospital chaplain. The chaplain said, I think you need to perform an exorcism on LaToya's nine-year-old son, and Maginot was not sure about this, but he agreed to meet with LaToya and her mother because he wanted to rule out any natural causes as to what was going on. So I'm not sure why it was specifically the nine-year-old that this hospital chaplain thought an exorcism should be performed on. I'm not sure why it was specifically him and not the seven-year-old child that had originally been the reason they went to the hospital in the first place, but I'm guessing it had to do with what was witnessed with him going up the wall onto the ceiling, you know, whatever had happened. So anyways, Reverend Magina went to the house, and LaToya and her mother Rosa talked to him for two hours and explained everything that had been going on. While they were talking, the bathroom light continued to flicker, and Reverend Magina thought that might be because the spirit was afraid of him. The blinds kept moving on their own, and all of them saw wet footprints in the living room. During this time, LaToya complained of having a headache, and Reverend Maginot held a crucifix to her head and said that she convulsed and seemed like the crucifix was affecting something inside of her. Another two hours went by, and Reverend Maginot was convinced that the family was being bothered by demons or some kind of spirit. He thought that ghosts were also present in the home, so he decided to bless the house before he left, and he told LaToya and Rosa that they needed to leave the home as soon as possible, as it wasn't safe. So LaToya and Rosa decided to move in with a relative for a while. Again, the children were with Department of Children's Services, so they were not with LaToya and Rosa at this time. So two weeks go by, and Department of Child Services says that the condition of the home needs to be checked, and Valerie Washington, the family's case manager, brings police to the home to come check it with her. Two of the police officers that come, come because they're curious about what's going on, they heard about everything that's happening, and they want to see this house for themselves. 
So when they get there, LaToya actually refuses to go inside, but Rosa says that she'll go in, and the group of police officers, Washington, and Rosa go into the house. So included in this group of people is the Gary, Indiana police captain, Charles Austin, and he actually was spoken to after, and he said that originally he didn't believe anything was going on until he visited the house, and then he ended up changing his mind. So while they were there, an interview was done, and the recorders they were using kept malfunctioning. The light kept flashing to indicate that batteries were needed because the batteries that were in there were dying, but they all thought this was weird because they had just put in new batteries that very morning. Later, when the police were listening back on the recording, they said that they could hear somebody whisper, hey, which I'm, <laughs> I don't know why, but I find this kind of funny because of all things, <laughs> like I would expect a hi over a hey, but they heard hey, like I don't know, it just doesn't sound super creepy to me and that part just made me laugh, but anyways, <laughs> they took photos while they were there, they took pictures of the house, the basement stairs, a few other places, and in the picture of the basement stairs, a white cloudy image was noticeable in the upper right-hand corner. It looked like a face, and when looking closely at the picture, a second green image was noticed, which they all said looked like a female. There's definitely more odd pictures, including one of the front of the house, and you can actually look at this. It looks like a figure is standing at the window on the porch, I looked at this picture without realizing, you know, I was looking up things about this case and I came across this picture and I didn't realize that it was supposed to have any ghostly images in it. And when I looked, you can see that there's some kind of image standing there in the picture. So I will post that on my website so you can look at it as well because it is kind of spooky. After everybody left the house, Gary Austin, the police captain, said that he had issues with his car and when he got home, his garage door would not open. He actually had to take his car in to be fixed because the seat was moving on its own and he just thought this was all strange. He also said that shortly after visiting the Ammons household, he was sitting in his car and talking on the radio and all of a sudden he heard this voice come over the radio that said, you in there? So him and the other person that were talking at the time were both confused as to where the voice had come from and they couldn't figure it out. So Gary Austin associated this with having just visited the house and that, along with the other strange behavior with his car, he started to wonder what was really going on. At this point, LaToya's children were still not with her, and there were records showing that they had missed a lot of days of school. LaToya said this was because they would be sick, or they'd be up all night without any sleep, and that would affect their attendance at school. And she said that this was all because of what was going on in the house. The children were evaluated, but they were not believed to have any psychiatric disorders. They did talk about shadowy figures in the home, things moving around, and doors slamming, and they also said that they felt at times like they were going into trances. Latoya was actually examined again, and she was described as being guarded, but she was not believed to be suffering from a psychiatric disorder. So the guarded thing makes sense. I mean, she's trying to tell people that she believes her house is haunted and that there's demons possessing her and her children, so of course when people are laughing at her, not believing her, it makes sense as to why she would be guarded. But again, she wasn't believed to be suffering from any type of psychiatric disorder. So while the kids were with the Department of Child Services, the family was being, you know, worked with and they were told that they really couldn't talk about these ghost things that were happening in the house. Uh, they didn't think it was a good idea for LaToya to talk about it anymore, especially to the children, and it was recommended that they get therapy. It was also recommended that LaToya find a job and start looking for another place to live. 
The house ended up being examined again, so for the second visit at the house, LaToya, Rosa, Gary Austin, and the two other police officers that came for the first visit of the house returned. So this is going on on May 10th, and also coming to the house is Reverend Maginot and a new Department of Child Services family case manager by the name of, I believe, Samantha Illick. And the reason that they had a new case manager go to the house was because Valerie Washington did not want to return to the house. She was too afraid. So a new case manager came, and they all went into the house. When they went in, they noticed strange liquid substances dripping in the basement, and while standing with the group, Samantha Illick, the new case manager, started to feel like her finger felt really strange and painful, and it felt like it was broken. So she started to think this was weird, and after a few minutes, she had a panic attack and felt like she couldn't breathe, so she had to leave and go outside of the house. After visiting the house, Illick said that a lot of strange things happened within 30 days of her visiting the home. She got a third-degree burn from a motorcycle, she broke three ribs while jet skiing, She broke her hand when she had hit it on a table, and she broke her ankle while running in flip-flops. And again, all of this happened within 30 days of visiting the house. She said it got to the point that her friends were afraid to talk to her because they thought something might be attached to her, and they had known about the Ammons house and that she had visited, and they were kind of freaked out. She was very freaked out. I mean, that's a lot of injuries in a short period of time. So again, at the second visit, nothing really happened aside from the case manager feeling really freaked out by going there, and Reverend Maginot also performed a minor exorcism on LaToya, and he blessed the house again. So eventually, a little time later, Reverend Maginot actually got permission from Bishop Melshek to perform an exorcism on LaToya. He ended up doing this exorcism at a church, and LaToya describes it as being very painful until she eventually ended up falling asleep. So the exorcism was finished, and after this, the family actually found a new home to move into, and Reverend Maginot blessed it. They also wrote the name of a demon on a piece of paper that had come up during the exorcism, and then they put that name into an envelope and burned the envelope and put the remains into a church fire. And after they did this, all of the weird stuff stopped. So again, they had moved, and it's not sure if it was the exorcism or moving that stopped all of these strange happenings. LaToya's children returned in November of 2012, and they were all really happy about that, and the children felt safe in their new home. And after that, nothing really happened. They said that they were fine, and there was no further strange happenings, weird sightings, feelings of being possessed. In 2014, Zach Baggins of Ghost Adventures actually bought the house for $35,000. He ended up filming a whole documentary while he was there, and then he later had the house demolished. The documentary is called Demon House, and the demolition of the house is actually filmed for the documentary, and that occurred in February of 2016. The documentary is about two hours long, it came out in 2019, And it actually took three years until it was finished because numerous staff and employees either voluntarily quit or left or ended up getting fired while filming the documentary. Baggins said that this case really messed him up, and he said that he experienced nightmares before and during filming, and he also became bedridden with an illness for over a week after taking on the documentary project. So not only did several of the crew quit during filming, but some of them were actually taken to the hospital during the filming of the documentary. 
The documentary was highly praised by many in the paranormal field. Steve Barton of Dread Central said that the film was one of the single most compelling documentaries on the existence of the supernatural that I've ever witnessed. But many that viewed the documentary thought it was over the top and not very believable. Baggins said that something was inside the house that had the ability to do things that he had never seen before. He said it was things that others carrying the highest form of credibility couldn't explain either. He also said there was something there that was very dark, yet highly intelligent and powerful. So I haven't watched the documentary, but apparently there was a lot of things caught on film that supposedly made it seem like there was some kind of presence within the home. And again, Latoya and her family, nothing happened after this. A new case manager who ended up following up with them in 2013 wrote that there were no demonic presences or spirits in the home and also wrote, the family is no longer fixated on religion to explain or cope with the children's behavior issues. So make of that what you may. In an article written by the Indie Star in 2022, it said that Latoya, her mother, and her children live in Indianapolis without any fear. They've also signed movie deals separate from the documentary we just talked about. They signed movie deals with Evergreen Media Holdings in 2014, but the current status of the project at the time of the article was unclear. So what do you think? Do you think that the house was actually haunted? Do you think that the family living there was actually being possessed? Personally, I do think that there was something strange going on. I think that this is a really interesting case because there were outside people involved with the family, like the Department of Child Services and the police, people at the hospital, that did witness strange things as well. Some of them even saying that they now believe in ghosts or other supernatural beings. And I do think that it's possible that something was really happening in that home. I don't think that this family made this all up, but I do think it's possible that there were other factors involved. I do think it's really easy to just say nothing's happening, there's no ghosts or demonic forces within this house just because somebody hasn't witnessed it or because they haven't experienced it. I think it's easier to just say, no, they've made it all up or they're just imagining things. But for this family, what was going on seemed to be very real. And again, there were other witnesses that also believed as well. So tell me what you think about this. And now let's move into, did you did know? You know? This is where I'm going to share some facts that didn't make it into the episode that are related to hauntings, ghosts, and the Ammons family. 1. One of the first haunted houses was written about in 2021 AD when an old man with a long white beard is described to be haunting a home. 2. It's said that ghosts prefer nighttime because there's fewer electronic devices being used, and it's also said in folklore that they prefer the witching hour which is a time of night when ghosts and witches are believed to be more powerful, and this typically occurs between 3 and 4 a.m. 3. If you buy a haunted house, the seller is not required to let you know, but in some states, if you ask about it, they have to tell you. There's some states that are required to divulge if a person has died on the property, but most of them, it's only if somebody has died in recent years and it's not the entire history if somebody has passed away on the property, but probably because not everybody believes in ghosts and hauntings and there's really no way to physically prove a house is haunted, a seller isn't required to tell a potential buyer that the house might be haunted. But in 1991 in New York, this was actually challenged. 
In what's known as the Ghostbusters ruling, a man had actually signed a contract to buy a house. So this house, which was located in Nyack, New York, actually had the family members that lived there reporting several instances of poltergeist in the house. And these reports were actually made to Reader's Digest and a local newspaper on three different occasions between 1977 and 1989. And the house ended up being included on a five-home walking tour of the city. Now, when the house was for sale, a man named Jeffrey Stombovsky entered into a contract to purchase the house in 1989-1990 around this time. He signed the contract and made a down payment of around $32,000, agreeing on a price of $650,000 for the house. Now, the owner of the house, Helen Ackley, she actually wouldn't sign her end of the contract until Stamboski was told about the history of hauntings within the house. She then said that he was notified of the claim and he actually laughed about it and said, we'll have to call in the Ghostbusters as, you know, kind of a joke about the situation. And then he signed, she signed, and there was the down payment made. About a week after the contracts of sale were fully signed, Samboski requested an in-person meeting at the property because he wanted to talk about, you know, the supposed ghosts that were there. So Helen Ackley told him all about the haunting story, and after he was told all about the ghosts in the house, he filed an action requesting rescission of the contract of sale and for damages for fraudulent misrepresentation by Ackley and the real estate company that had handled the sale. He didn't end up attending the closing because of this, and this caused him to forfeit the down payment for the home. So this was brought into the New York Supreme Court, and they actually dismissed the action, and then Slomboski appealed it. After the appeal, the New York Appellate Court actually reversed the trial court's decision. They said that the seller had a duty to disclose the reputation of the house to an out-of-town buyer. So he ended up getting his money back and he got out of the contract with the house. And this is often referred to as the Ghostbusters ruling. But again, I did look into it and it seems state by state, there really is no state that requires a seller to voluntarily disclose if a house is allegedly haunted. But at the same time, a house that's allegedly haunted can be considered a stigmatized property. And like in the case that we were just talking about, the court actually said that by not disclosing the high-profile haunting to the buyer, it gave an issue with both the value of the property and its potential for resale. So in general, a lot of sellers err on the side of caution when it comes to these type of disclosures because if it affects the material value of the home, it has to be disclosed. But then again, it's not specified that a haunting has to be disclosed. So it's kind of a really blurry type of confusing line. And while officially a seller doesn't need to let a potential buyer know that a house is rumored to be haunted, if a buyer buys the house and finds out that this exists, then there is a case for them to get out of their contract and get their money back because if it's a stigmatized property and it affects future resale, then they have a case. So definitely a tricky one. So those are some did you know related to this episode. At this point in future episodes, I would love to include some listener comments, theories, questions, or polls. Make sure to follow along on my social media if you would like to be included. Thank you for listening to Kind of Strange Podcast. Don't forget to follow along on social media at Kind of Strange PC on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love it if you could rate this podcast and leave a review. All sources for this episode are listed on the Kind of Strange website. The link is provided in the show notes. Until next time, 
don't forget to keep a lookout for anything that might be a little weird, a bit odd, or kind, kind of strange. Of strange.